1: And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by the makers of the Skylight Frame. The perfect gift to give a loved one this holiday season an ingenious touchscreen, Wi-Fi-enabled digital picture frame that allows you to email your latest photos directly to those you care most about, no matter the distance. Not only will the Skylight Frame allow you to stay connected to the most important people in your life, tonight they have a special offer just for my listeners. I'll be back after tonight's first story to tell you a little bit more about Skylight Frame and my experience with my own. Until then, snuggle up with a nice warm blanket and get cozy. Skylight might help you get closer to those you love. But tonight, you're on your own with me, and I've got a far creepier picture to paint. <laughs> Stay tuned, the show is about to begin. Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about animatronic abominations, school lockdowns gone spooky, creeping creatures, and rituals gone wrong. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which includes the first two stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. And thank you for your support. It's time to get started, so lock your doors. Turn your lights down low and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> our first tale of terror this evening from author jameson kernick is entitled better watch out better not cry my parents own a santa animatronic i think it tried to kill us now i know what you might be thinking this story already sounds like a kid's overactive imagination during a season that relies on the magic of imagination. I don't mean to oversell it, either. This wasn't some decades-long haunting where it terrorized us every Christmas. This was a single incident, but one that my brother and I would never forget. Let me give you some backstory first to paint a better picture. My parents have always owned a Santa animatronic that we kept inside our house during the Christmas season. I assume my mom inherited it from my grandparents as they sold the home that we grew up in to my mother and father. He stood just under six feet tall and looked like a stereotypical Santa Claus. He was wide, with rosy red cheeks and a reserved smile underneath a massive beard reaching down to his belly. The traditional red and white attire was topped off with shiny black boots. To be honest... There was nothing particularly creepy about him to me, even though through the years his color held well and he wasn't like those dolls from the 1800s that I find absolutely terrifying, even today as an adult. Calling him an animatronic was generous, but I guess that's roughly what it was. He had a single, way-too-short power cord that you plugged into a wall. "'There was no switch. "'When you plugged it in, "'Kris Kringle began his jolly little movements immediately. "'He had a super-limited range of motion. "'His legs were motionless, "'and instead he swiveled back and forth at the hips. "'His right arm would raise up "'as if waving and greeting as he turned, "'and then it would lower back down "'as he returned to his starting position. "'His left arm stayed as motionless as his legs "'and wasn't even adjustable.' There were no lights or sounds other than the sound of the moving parts. Having him plugged in didn't make sense more often than not, considering we had all seen what he could do, and the sounds of him moving were more annoying than anything else. He was mostly plugged in for about thirty seconds, for the sake of guests who thought his little wave was cute before we unplugged him once more, and he returned to a motionless festive space taker. Over the years, even his minimal use began to wear on him. His waist would still rotate, but his waving arm would stutter as it struggled to raise. I remember that it sounded like a creaking door that just couldn't finish opening. Eventually, it stopped working altogether, and we stopped plugging him in entirely. Well, that's not completely true. My brother and I did... "'Try it a few times to get a laugh out of watching Santa doing the twist over the years. "'My father moved him closer to a window near the Christmas tree. "'It looked better that way, having Santa peeking out into the yard "'near our brightly decorated tree. Uh, "'That was an upgrade from him standing in the corner, staring at us. "'Inevitably, his side-to-side rotation quit working as well, "'probably the result of being moved up and down the stairs for over twenty years.' the basement being his home during the other 11 months of the year. Our incident took place well before his rotating days were over. My brother, Chase, was about mm, 10 years old at the time. I was 12. I don't remember exactly when my parents started putting out Santa, but as far back as I could recall, celebrating Christmas, he was always there. Personally, at that point... The Santa animatronic barely caught the corner of my eye during December. He stood out at the beginning of the month, sure, but like all other decorations, my brain just became used to him being there. It didn't come so easy for my brother. In later years, we'd both come to laugh at his meager side-to-side twist, but the years where his arms started to fill were much less entertaining to my brother. Kids are afraid of a lot of things— so who could blame him for being spooked by a stuttering animatronic twice his size? His fear wasn't limited to Santa's jagged movement, either. If you walked down the hall and forgot that Santa had been put out on display, his presence would catch you off guard and cause quite a scare. It happened to all of us, save our father, but it seemed to catch my brother unaware more often than the rest of us. That year... Chase decided he had quite enough of the already-dated St. Nick and let my parents know about it. It was still November, but now that Thanksgiving was over, there wasn't even a week before it was time for Christmas decorations. Can we just keep him in the basement this year? He doesn't even work anymore, protested my brother as I walked into the kitchen for breakfast. Chase, we bring him out every year. Is almost as much of a tradition in this house as the real Santa,' my mother replied. "'She was busy packing our lunches while she argued with my clearly cranky little brother. "'My father was in the other room, ironing his shirt for work, "'never really getting involved in morning chatter. "'But he's old. Why can't we just get normal decorations? "'None of my friends have a giant creepy Santa staring out the window.' He whined with all the energy only a ten-year-old could have at 7.30 in the morning. Doesn't that make us unique, then? My mom mused. You could hear her beginning to relent. Packing lunch and getting kids ready for school before heading to her own job, full-time, was tough on only half a cup of coffee. No! It makes us weird. And that was the end of that. It was easier for my mom to give in than to stand there and argue about Christmas decorations with her ten-year-old son. Plus, it meant one less decoration I had to lug up from the basement. I had to admit I was impressed. This chase had come up with a handful of reasons to keep the fat man stored away without even admitting he was actually scared of our aging Santa. I think I was just so used to having that Santa around that I I didn't notice but I guess I could see how someone might find him creepy. Thus, the old animatronic stayed downstairs when it came time to fill the house to the brim with decorations. It was weird to see the living room without Santa peeking out the window, but much like when he had been there, I stopped noticing after a few days. A week later, our cousins, Ben and Ty, came over to stay the night. While most of our time was spent huddled around the N64 playing Mario Kart or Goldeneye, we like to mix up by playing hide-and-seek in the basement with the lights off. It's not as freaky as it sounds. We had a large basement, and thanks to a few windows along with the light of the moon, you could see pretty well once your eyes adjusted to the darkness. Once you walked down the stairs, on your right was an unfinished half of a room, filled with a freezer, fridge, and a mountain of boxes and plastic crates filled to the brim with decorations and knickknacks for other seasons. It led to another smaller room that was filled with nothing more than our father's outdated workout equipment, surrounded by foundation, concrete, and drywall. On the left side of the staircase was a large furnished room that served as me and my brother's hangout room. It led to my father's workshop and our basement garage. Connecting the weight room to the workshop was a long, thin corridor that my parents kept cluttered with all sorts of rarely needed miscellaneous items. All in all, the basement was pretty well set up as a hide-and-seek arena. I was the oldest of all the cousins, which of course naturally meant that I was never it to begin the game. I wish I could say that I didn't swing my weight and age around a lot as a kid, but I'd be lying. Ty, being the youngest, inevitably inherited that unfortunate title, and the rest of us scattered throughout the basement. I quickly made my way into the corridor, hoping to slip back into my dad's workshop, into a spot I had scouted out earlier. The corridor itself was actually a miserable hiding spot. There was so much junk that whoever was it would naturally bump into anyone dumb enough to try and hide there. Still, it made for a good shortcut, and I figured it would keep Ben, or Chase, from seeing where my perfect hiding spot was located. About halfway down the corridor, I came to an awful realization. Something was blocking the rest of the path. My eyes hadn't adjusted to the darkness yet, so I reached out to see if it was something I could just push past. My hands found a large surface of fake hair and I realized exactly what was blocking my way. My parents had left Santa Claus stuffed into the corridor thanks to my brother's persistent complaining. He wasn't heavy, per se, but I didn't have the room to move him out of my way in the narrow hall. Before I could head back the way I came, I heard a voice call out from the top of the stairs. "'Here I come, ready or not,' yelled Ty." his feet stomping on the wooden stairs as he made his descent into the basement. Out of time, I tried to stand up as straight as possible and flatten myself against the wall next to storage claws. It wasn't a great plan, but it was the best I had at the moment. As I waited for Ty to hopefully find Ben or my brother first, my eyes finally adjusted to the darkness. Slowly looking over to Santa, I could see that he was facing me, His lifeless eyes were narrowed from the molded smile placed on his face. He probably just swiveled after I ran into him, but it felt as if he had turned to stare at me. I stood motionless, hoping that he would stay as still as he did when standing in our living room. I held my breath, feeling the pounding of my heart beating harder and faster. ''Gahoo!'' screamed Ty as he grabbed my arm. I screamed, too. It was not my proudest moment. It didn't help that it took a solid five minutes for Ty to stop his laughing fit set off by my reaction. Afterwards, I sat on the couch in the main room while he hunted down Chase and Ben. When they were finally found, all three laughed themselves to tears as Ty did his best impression of my scream. Not only was it embarrassing but the rules we played by dictated that the first person who was found was it for the next round. Being the oldest, I felt my wounded pride take the place of my fear as I counted aloud at the top of the staircase. I resolved that I would find them all so rapidly that my hide-and-seek dominance would erase the squeak of puberty's scream that I had shrieked out. Counting to fifty... I bounded down the stairs and immediately head back into Santa's corridor. It was common for people to hide precisely where the first person had been caught in the round prior, so I was betting on some double-reverse psychology. I grinned as I spotted Santa, my eyes still adjusted to the darkness. His body was turned away from me this time, meaning that one of them had obviously squeezed by in hopes that I couldn't follow him. "'turning Santa's hips in the process. "'As I approached him, I grabbed him "'in an attempt to maneuver him out of the way "'so I could slip by. "'His body immediately swayed back to face me, "'and what I saw horrified me so much "'that nothing but panicked air escaped my throat. "'Pinned between his body "'and his left immovable arm was my brother. "'His eyes bulged in panic as they found my own, "'and I could see the cord wrapped tightly around his neck. "'Santa leaned against the walls when plugged in, "'since the power cord was so short, "'but it was long enough to wrap around the neck of a ten-year-old boy. "'I was frozen in shock as my mind tried to process the scene in front of me, "'and I only broke from my spell when Chase's one free arm reached out toward me for help. "'I instantly lunged to save him,' But an arm shot up and caught me square in the jaw and sent me flying backwards. Dazed, I looked up to see the raised arm of Santa, the same arm that could no longer even move properly when he was plugged in. The rest of his frame slowly creaked away from me again, his swiveling frame carrying my brother out of sight. I had no idea what was happening. My legs were shaking, and the rest of my body soon joined them in a tremble. What the hell was this thing? I was so, so frightened. But then I thought about Chase being strangled on the other side of whatever this terror was. I thought about his bulging eyes, his face turning a deep purple that I could see even in the darkness. No! I bellowed and vaulted up into the animatronic with all of my weight. All three of us came crashing down onto the concrete floor, bringing down a cavalcade of other loosely stored items in a resounding crash. I immediately pushed up off of the now motionless claws and grabbed for my brother. Finding his legs, I pulled with all my might, and to my relief, I yanked him free of the arm that had him pinned. The power cord was no longer wrapped around his neck, but as he coughed and wailed, I could see the strangulating marks very clearly. Pulling him to his feet, we ran toward the staircase, where we were met by our parents who had heard the loud crash and hurried to see what had happened. Our cousins quickly emerged from their hiding spot as our mother freaked out over my brother's injuries and her father shouted about our reckless behavior. My parents listened to neither my brother's nor my own frightened rendition of the events that had transpired. They assumed my brother had simply gotten tangled in the cord while trying to hide, getting stuck when his smaller frame was wedged between St. Nick's arm. The resulting fear, panic, and pain were responsible for his story that had been grabbed by the machine. My attempts to validate his story, even though I didn't see everything, were dismissed as attempts to avoid punishment. Two weeks of grinding put a pin in that, and the truth was stuck with Chase and I forever. My father eventually brought Santa upstairs to see if he had taken any significant damage. Surprisingly, the archaic contraption was not broken or bent despite the force of my tackle and the unforgiving concrete floor. His only blemish was from some dust he picked up from his fall, "'My father cleaned him up and was going to take him back down into the basement "'when, surprisingly, my brother protested. "Uh, "'Can't we put him in the living room? Not the basement, please?' he pleaded. "'He had wailed for hours after the incident, "'and fresh tears threatened the corner of his eyes. "'With his bandaged neck, he made quite the sad sight. "'Our father relented, probably out of pity.' "'and returned Santa to his spot looking out the window near the brightly lit tree. "'He was brought out every year after that without so much as a peep from my brother. "'I'm nearing thirty now, and my parents still have him up every Christmas. "'That was the only incident we ever suffered at the hands of our odd animatronic. "'It only took my brother a few years to seemingly get over it. "'Most of our Christmases during high school involved laughing at the side-to-side rotation while the Beatles' rendition of the twist played in the background. It did, however, take nine years before we spoke to each other about what happened with Santa in the corridor that night. My brother was a senior in high school at that point, and I was visiting from college. I smuggled home some booze that I had bought with my fake ID, and we were hanging out in the basement that we had spent most of our childhood in. We joked about the old TV we used to watch and laughed at how busted the joysticks of our Nintendo 64 controllers were from skin peeling Mario Party games. We were pretty drunk when the topic finally switched to hide and seek and the Santa incident. Mom and Dad never believed us, Chase stated. Hell. Some days I'm not even sure what all I remember. (laughs) He finished with a laugh. I don't think any adult would believe what we saw. I still remember how your face looked when it turned purple. I replied, winching as the image replayed in my mind. You know, I never told you thank you for saving me. He admitted, shaking his head as if ashamed for never doing so. Well, you're welcome for me saving you from Santa Claus. I quipped and our drunken laughter filled the echoing basement. After a few moments, Chase's face was serious again. "Um, There's something else I never told you. He said in a more solemn tone. What is it? I inquired, not having realized my brother had held on to something else after all this time. When it... When he grabbed me, he whispered something in my ear even before starting strangling me. Chase confessed, his shoulders sinking as if he had just unloaded the heaviest of burdens. What? What the hell did he say? I managed to sputter out my surprise, outpacing my words. Chase looked at me and shook his head. It was just a jumbled sentence, but I remember every single word. His voice was hollow, and each word came out like they were made by grinding metal. My brother seemed to lose focus as he said this, as if remembering for the first time in years. I snapped my fingers a few times until his thousand-yard stare refocused. Jesus Christ, Chase, what'd that thing say? I insisted, having no idea how my brother held on to this for so long. He blinked at me a few times and finally spoke. He said to me, "'Santa. Decorations.' Santa, upstairs. Santa, still works. Plug, Santa, in. With that, Chase covered his eyes with his hand, trying to hold the tears that came with the memories. We didn't talk about it anymore that night, and to this day we'll only mention it briefly to assure each other we didn't imagine it all. I also use those moments to make sure Chase is doing okay because he probably never sought out the therapy he should have. You might be wondering why the hell we don't take this thing out into the woods and just burn it to ashes. Well, there's a few reasons for that. First of all, I don't want to have to explain to my parents that their 29-year-old son burnt their Christmas decoration to a crisp because it scared him once when he was 12. Second of all, it's been 17 years and not a single other incident has occurred with the now motionless animatronic. Finally, I don't know what my brother actually heard that night, but if what Chase said is the truth, then all this Santa wanted was to be included alongside our other Christmas decorations during the holidays. I'll probably never know what the hell this thing really is, but "'I do know that one day my parents will pass it down to me. "'When that day comes, you can bet you'll be standing by the window in my living room "'for all the passing cars to see. "'If that spot in my home for one month a year "'is all I need to make sure I never see another purple gasping face like my brother's, "'then I'll gladly give that gift every year as long as I live.' Here's the season.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: I hope you enjoyed Better Watch Out, Better Not Cry by author Jameson Kernick. Up next, we've got a tale from the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights via their anonymous author collective, The Dead Canary, that just goes to show that oftentimes, when you think a situation is bad enough already, it can always get worse. But first, I'd like to tell you a bit more about Skylight Frame, the ingenious product that, unlike what's looking in our next tale is sure to put a smile on the face of everyone you give it to this season. With Christmas just a week away and New Year's nearly upon us, things for many of us are getting hectic, but with travel plans, dinner preparations, and God forbid New Year's resolutions, to put the finishing touches on. With everything the season entails, sometimes the added stress of finding the ideal gift, ...for those we love the most, especially when we're not in physical proximity to them, can be a challenge. So, let me ask you, how's your holiday shopping going? Since I've moved back to Canada now, it's a bit more difficult to take care of things... ...now that I'm not in close proximity to those that I know. And before the internet was around, it would be impossible to keep in touch easily. But now, things are just a bit different... For a really special gift for the special people in your life, you've got to check out the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is a photo frame you can update instantly by email from anywhere. It sets up effortlessly in under 60 seconds. Just plug it in, use the touch screen to connect to your wireless network and enjoy. Sending photos to Skylight is effortless too. In seconds, everyone in the family can email the latest snaps from their portrait sessions, their goofy selfies, or their vacation shots to your personal Skylight email address, and they'll pop up in no time. The frame's got a classy black frame and white mat, which looks like a real traditional photo frame, and adds a beautiful touch to your home. It goes with any decor and looks fantastic on a coffee table wall or bedside table. The skylight frame's got a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen, too, so you can swipe through photos with your finger and even tap to thank the person who sent a photo to you. The reality is technology has been bringing generations together today for years. But with the skylight frame, it's never been easier. Imagine the look on your mom or dad's face or your grandparents when they instantly get the latest batch of memories from you delivered instantly to their frame without having to do a thing. And knowing they can tell you which ones they like best with just a touch. And with the skylight frame, there's no need to leave your loved ones in the dark. You can preload it with your favorite photos to make it extra personalized as a gift. Just import pictures of you and your loved ones together in advance, wrap it up, and voila! The perfect present which keeps on giving every time you make a new memory. Not only that, but with the Skylight frame, your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. If you don't absolutely love your frame, Skylight will offer you a full refund. Now, I've got to tell you, I chat with Craig Roche, the program director, just about every week, and we've had the pleasure of trying out some really great products as featured on this show, but Craig has never been as excited about anything as he was about the Skylight frame. See, Craig's got a family of five, including three boys. And if you've got small kids, or know any, you know how challenging it can be to get the perfect family portrait done right every year, in time for the holidays. And sometimes, how hard can it be to choose which shot from the session to send to your loved ones? Well, Craig got the chance to try out the skylight frame this month and discovered it was the perfect gift for his father who isn't big on new technology and has trouble, as some do, with keeping up with all the new gadgets every year, but still loves to see what his grandkids are up to. Now, Craig's dad is getting brand new snaps of his son's family and his three grandkids without having to lift a finger. When he stops back in after a day of grocery shopping, he finds new pictures loaded on his frame, daily, and with the touchscreen, with a single tap, He can tell them how much he loves each one. The first time he sent a new batch of photos, his dad called him to express his amazement at how fast they showed up and how many the frame could store at once. Even better, Craig's not the only one that can send photos to the device. Just give the frame's unique email address to friends and family and they can send their latest shots too and it still takes up just one spot on his wall. After all, who wants to spend an entire afternoon hanging portraits? You wouldn't do that to your parents, would you? (laughs) This season, Skylight Frame's making it easy for my listeners to stuff a stocking with priceless memories and let them know that Otis Jivey sent you. Now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase... Of a skylight frame, when you go skylightframe.com and enter code TOLD, that's right, to get ten dollars off your purchase of a skylight frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter code TOLD. That's S K Y L I G H T F R A M E .dot com promo code TOLD. They say a picture says a thousand words. Well, with the Skylight Frame this holiday season, you can say more than all the stories I've ever performed with just one gift and give the special people in your life the one gift that ensures they're never forgotten and lets them share in your memories all year round. Now that we've got the holidays under control, allow me to rekindle the age-old Christmas tradition of scaring the daylights out of you with my telling of a tale from the dead canary about a school lockdown which is far more sinister than meets the eye and the young man who heard it all with the courage to tell the truth. Our second story today comes to us courtesy of The Dead Canary, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, anonymous author, collective, and is entitled The Lockdown. I'm very happy I'm not in school anymore. I graduated a few years ago, but more and more every day I hear about incidents at school. On the news, on the internet, on texts my friends send me. All sorts of horror stories. But the stories online are the ones I always find myself glancing through. I've seen stories online of people relating how their school went into lockdown... And the story ends up being about some hobo who'd been living under the school or some crazy person from down the street who finally snapped one day. I don't know if they're true, but all I know is our school went into lockdown once. And I don't even know if the people at my school know the whole story as to what happened. I don't even know if I understand it myself. It still seems like some sort of dream, a fever dream. Something that didn't happen, couldn't happen. It was the middle of the third period, math. I'd just finished a big test. I found out later I'd made a bunch of mistakes and ended up getting a D, but uh, that's not really important to the story. I used the hall pass to go use the bathroom. Unfortunately... The school bathrooms were all located at the stairwells. And, of course, the bathrooms on the first floor, where I was, were closed for repairs. I had to go up to the second floor. But before I got there, the bell rang. The bell never rang during class before. But as it did, an announcement came over the P.A. Students and faculty were entering lockdown. This is not a drill. Please, please. "'All students and faculty follow all school procedures.' I froze. I could hear sirens approaching. I came out of the stairwell, but already the doors in the hallway were closing, and I could hear them locking. I was alone and out in the open. I could go into the bathroom now, but the doors had no locks on them since my freshman year, after some juniors trapped a freshman in the bathroom and duct-taped him inside a stall.' They removed the ability to lock them at all. If there was anybody wandering the school, I'd have no chance if I went into there. I ran down the hall. I could see classrooms turning out their lights and covering the windows. I couldn't turn to them for help. All the instructions said to not answer the door. I had to find someplace safe nearby before something happened. I turned a corner and I saw my chance. The janitor's closet was open. Lunch was up next period, so he was probably out setting up tables when the announcement was made. He wasn't in there, and it could easily be locked from the inside, so I jumped in and shut off the light. The only light I saw was from the bottom of the door. I waited, and the sirens grew closer and eventually stopped. Time passed, and I wasn't sure if I was happy that I couldn't hear anything going on, or tense because I had no idea what was happening. Then I heard footsteps, lots of them. They stopped in the hallway. It must have been the police. I could hear radios and other assorted noises. I didn't think it could be some sort of lone gunman or nutcase, so I listened. One guy in particular sounded like the one in charge. Okay, are we in position? Another guy answered. I don't know what his rank was, but Clearly he was not in charge of the first guy. Yes, sir. We know the suspects in here in the building. C-team is across the campus as ordered and B-team is covering the back entrances. They will not exit the building on our watch. The chief responded, Good. Remember, he could look like anyone, but he must not escape. It's my fault he's here and it's my duty to deal with him. I couldn't hear much for a while. There was too much movement, too many people all talking to each other, to make out anybody from where I sat. I just waited for a little while. Maybe it would all just be over soon, and I could leave the closet and go back to class. That's when it all happened. The chief yelled out, Hold it! Put your hands in the air! The commotion outside stopped, but I heard what sounded like a lot of guns being pointed at someone. Lay down on the ground. Leave your hands where we can see them. It stayed quiet, except for a few of the guns clocking. I said, down to the ground. Don't you dare try what I think you're going to do. You're not at the Institute anymore. I thought I would hear shots go off, back and forth, and eventually somebody saying, Suspect down. What I didn't expect was the scream. It wasn't a normal scream. It wasn't somebody crying out in terror. It was like a wounded animal mixed with the sound of a bandsaw hitting concrete. I'd never heard anything like it before, and I hope I never hear it again. Then the guns began to fire. The horrible scream happened again, then other screams, and then the sounds of tearing. I saw the shadows under the door as people moved and fell over, and then blood began to seep underneath. There was another gunshot, and I nearly yelled out myself when a bullet punched through part of the doorway. It wasn't very big, but I put my eye up against it, and I could see a group of people being attacked by somebody. But something wasn't right about him. He looked too long in places, like he'd been stretched in a taffy machine. He was moving so fast, though, that I couldn't make anything out except for him grabbing people and throwing them around like they were nothing. More gunshots. The scream happened again, and again. I pulled away from the bullet hole and sat back in the closet. Then the scream began to fade. I heard a thud, and then more footsteps. The chief spoke again, but he was breathing heavily, like he'd been badly wounded. "'Timey!' He's down. I repeat, he's down. We need a clean-up. Immediately. I didn't move. I wanted to look again, but as curious as I was, I didn't really want to see, but I heard a lot of commotion for a long time, and then nothing. I don't know how long it was after that, but then the PA announced that lockdown had ended. I came out of the closet. I tried not to look, but... For all the sounds I'd heard, there was not much sign of a fight as I thought there would be. Even the streaks of blood I'd seen in that brief time through the bullet hole had all been removed. I went back to my class and just told everyone I hid in a stall in the bathroom. People were impressed with my guts for doing it, but if nobody else heard that scream, I certainly didn't want to bring it up. As you might expect, we all went home early that day, Police and EMT were everywhere, but as far as I could see, nobody was being taken away by either. My parents came and were so happy that I was all right. They'd been following everything on the news and came as soon as they could. At home that night, I ate dinner and waited to see what happened on the news. The live coverage had ended a long time ago, but when the news came back on at ten, I wanted to see everything. As it started, I saw classes had been canceled for the rest of the week. But then things started to get... weird. The news talked about a student who they refused to name, how he had come to school armed but had been taken into custody after a short firefight. I saw pictures of the student being led away in cuffs. He didn't have a mark on him. He wasn't even wounded as he pushed into a police car and driven away. All I saw was him fighting and yelling. Even in my glimpses through that bullet hole, I knew that wasn't the same one I saw. The clothes were completely different. The one I had seen had been wearing a black t shirt and jeans. The one getting into the police car was wearing a white shirt and shorts. The news said no one had been hurt despite the gunfire, but I knew people had been wounded, even killed. I'd heard them screaming in agony as something vicious had attacked them. And then there was what the chief guy had said, talking about something being his fault, the institution, that he could look like anyone. I don't know what happened that day for certain. I didn't see enough. I didn't hear enough to get the full story. But this is what I can tell you. I know there was no shooter at our school. I know that someone was arrested that day, someone who I didn't know, who I had never heard about ever again. That's right, a shooter who never made another day's worth of news, just disappeared. When was the last time that ever happened? I know that chief guy and his squad were not cops. I don't know who they were, but I knew cops don't clean up a crime scene like that. And no human being has ever screamed like that. Ever. But whatever it was that I heard attacking those people, all I know is it came into that hallway where I was. I was alone, and if it hadn't been for that janitor's closet, I wouldn't have been safe. It could have looked like anyone. Something tells me that squad wouldn't have helped me either. It could have looked like anyone. Who was it? How long had it been in our school? Had I ever been alone with it and never knew what it was? Who were those people who had come for it? Where, Where had it come from? And good God, is it really dead?' Thanks again to today's sponsor, Skylight Frame, for their support of this show. Don't forget, now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter code TOLD. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go skylightframe.com and enter code TOLD. That's S K Y. L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com, promo code TOLD. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on... Chilling Tales for Dark Nights where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases including premium versions of our other shows such as the Simply Scary Podcast and Horror Hill. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thank you very much for your support. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett.